This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. Before we begin today's conversation on Grace Enough, I want to give a heads up. Today, we cover an important but sensitive subject that may not be suitable for young ears. Please use discretion while listening. With that said, welcome to episode 219 of the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Before sharing today's guest, will you do me a favor by answering a few questions on a listener survey? As a thank you, you'll be entered for a chance to win a $50 Amazon gift card. Visit graceenoughpodcast.com slash survey. The survey will be active now through May 23rd. I really appreciate and value your input. While today's topic is a hard one to discuss, I feel it needs to be discussed more openly and more frequently. And today's guest is on the front lines of doing just that. Rosie McKinney is the founder of Fight for Love Ministries. Fight for Love brings hope and truth to women battling porn in their relationships. Rosie's passion for this group of women is personal, as you'll hear parts of her story today. You'll also hear Rosie discuss betrayal trauma, misconceptions about porn use, how it impacts the brain, and ways to move forward in confidence if this is a part of your story. I'm thrilled to welcome Rosie McKinney to the show. Good morning, Rosie, and welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. It's great to be here and be chatting with you, Amber. So good to see you. I know. it's. I always say this when I'm talking to a friend, that it will be um, an even more delightful conversation, but we'll try not to get off topic. <laughs> it might be difficult. <laughs> That's right. When I'm talking to somebody I know, it's it's always a little difficult for me to not ask a lot of questions. But today's topic is not an easy topic for people to hear about or really even dive into. And so as we get going, you are the founder of Fight for Love Ministries and the author of a book by the same title. Its purpose is to really offer hope for women who've been impacted in their relationships by pornography. I want you to start by first just telling us a little bit about how you came to know Jesus and then why you founded a ministry that's ministering to women in that way. I love that question, Amber. I don't normally get asked that. How did I find Jesus? Mm. Um, So it's interesting because my story, my experience with being in a relationship with someone who's addicted to pornography is kind of twofold. So two relationships, in fact. There was the one before I became a Christian. Oh, yeah. Oh, so I was in a long term relationship with an unrepentant porn addict and I tried everything, everything I could think of or I'd read or anyone never told me to get rid of this. Um, But nothing worked and it was very painful and it all fell apart. But towards the tail end of that relationship, because it was a very toxic relationship, I just couldn't get out of it. I kept leaving and going back, leaving and going back. Mm. And I remember there was one night when I was just really distressed. And I remember lying in bed and I just went, God, help me. You've got to help me. You've got to help me, help me, help me, help me. And I grew up Church of England, going to church, but it 
never really had an impact. And I just prayed this prayer because I'd run out of ways to make my dream happen. You know, my, my dream of having a family, my happy home, uh, a boyfriend who wasn't crazy and deceptive and blaming. Mm. Um, and so I just cried out and, and I just felt this peace come over me. And then I went to sleep and forgot, forgot about it. And I'd started sort of, I, I was thinking, I, I need to get out of this relationship, but I can't, I seem to keep going back. Um, and I, possibly I need a new set of friends because in that friendship group, they were doing some just horrible, not good stuff, not good mm. stuff. So I'm going, where am I going to find some new friends? I know I'll find them at church. I'm sure they're not doing that sort of stuff. <laughs> so I just started going to the local church, literally down the road. And yeah, that's where I met Jesus very unexpectedly. I was just looking for some new friends and I would sit there going, I, I like these people. They all mm. seem to believe what they're saying, but I don't believe it. Mm. I want to believe, but I don't believe it. And you can't make me believe just by saying believe because then I don't. So I was really like, well, I don't know. I'll just hang around. And then one day this 19 year old young man got up and gave his testimony and I was really moved. I didn't believe it, but I thought I ought to congratulate mm. him and say, well done. Well, I was a teacher, you know, well done. Good job. <laughs> um, so I went up to him and said, oh, you know, that was really brave, Ben. And, you know, it was really good to hear your story. And the pastor sort of like grabbed me and said, oh, can I pray for you? Because I was at the front because I was congratulating him. And I was like, right. oh, oh God, don't let anybody see. I'm like, yeah, okay. And he prayed for me. And in that moment, just like the Holy Spirit descended and I just got filled wow. and stuff broke off me. And I just like had these like cartoon tears spurting out of my eyes um, and everything changed. Everything changed. Everything looked different. It was like having new contact lenses. I had hope. I had joy. I left that relationship like that. I oh moved my into goodness. a flat with a, with a Christian flatmate. Um, and that was it. Oh, so I've gone completely off topic because that's my favorite story ever. But that's not off topic though. I mean, um, that's incredible. And such that's provides so much hope yeah, for people. Was, yeah. Yeah. Even if, even if you're, you know, you're listening to this and you don't know Jesus and going, but I don't believe, I don't believe like take heart. You know, mm. he does, Jesus does the whole lot. He draws mm. you, he calls you and he, he just reaches down even when you're dead in your trespass. And I was very dead and very mm. hopeless and he did the lot. And that's why I, I, I all have hope for everybody in every situation Wow! because you don't have to do it. Mm. You literally don't have to do anything. I suppose the thing I did was lying in that bed going, help me, help me, help me. Yeah. Knocked on the door, but he did the rest. Wow. So I move out. I'm in a house group. I meet this crazy American guy. <laughs> we, uh, you know, we fall in love. He tells me that he's had a pornography problem in the past but he's dealt with it. And I'm like, yay, I've got one of the good guys. He recognizes it's wrong. He's dealt with it. It's not going to be a problem. We get married and we move to America. But to be honest, from like honeymoon onwards, it was very clear that this is still an issue. Because what people don't realize is that pornography addiction just doesn't just manifest in the bedroom in the ways that you expect. It can totally change their personalities. Mm-hmm. So he was angry and critical and resentful and blaming. And I was like, oh my goodness. You know, I was like Googling, is he bipolar? Like what is going on? This is Jekyll and Hyde. I do not know who I've married. Mm. And it was absolutely devastating. And I didn't know that this was the right thing to do. It was just sheer desperation. But I said, enough, you can have pornography or you can have me, but you can't have both. I have done this journey. I know that nothing I do is going to work. So you get help or that's it. I mean, okay, bearing... pause. So at this point, his, had he said to you, like, yes, I am still fully 
involved in pornography? Had he admitted it at this point? Or you just knew? I knew that it was all involved. I didn't know how because I didn't know anything. But I was just like, I've seen some of these things before. Mm -hmm. And I know that he said he's had this problem. And so I was just sort of put, trying to put the pieces together. And then we went to see a, a therapist and she said, well, he's a sex addict. And I'm like, oh, and she said, you need help. And so I said, yeah, you get help or, or that's it. So that was, I mean, that was such a, uh, a moment of relief and validation when somebody else went, I know he's blaming you and saying it's all your fault. Mm -hmm. You're a big disappointment and you're this and you're that, but it's not true. Mm. So that was like, okay. I don't know whether this is going to work, but considering I've just given up my job, my country, my friends, my family, my name to give this a shot, I'll hang around for a bit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can get your help. I'm going to get help. I'm going to get help because I am devastated. I, I don't understand how this has all happened. So we'll both get help and then we'll reassess. Not understanding that drawing that firm line in the sand is the only thing that works. You cannot compete with this. You cannot control this. You cannot cure this. The only thing that works is drawing a firm line in the sand and saying, this has no place in our marriage. This is not good for you. This is not good for us. This is not good for any family. We need to sort it out. We need to sort it out now. It's only going to get progressively worse. Mm. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So, whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. See, I have all of these questions that I want to ask you and I'm getting to just like nix them all because I'm, I want to know more about that process for you guys. Like then what happened? So he starts getting help, but eventually you're like, we, we know something that a lot of other people obviously don't know because we see families falling apart because of porn addiction, sex addiction. Um, and now you run a ministry that you're pouring into these people. And I texted right before I sent you just the information about this interview. I texted a friend of mine because she's walked this road too. And I said, what would you ask Rosie? And some of the questions that I have for you are from her because she's like, I just didn't know there were certified therapists uh, for sex addicts. Like I didn't know X, Y, and Z, which we'll talk about. You know, I... Christians are culpable in this to some degree because we make women think it's their fault. Um, <laughs> and so I want to know, though, before we dive into some of those questions, like what then happened? How did he get the help that he needed? How did you end up finally saying, I got to help other women? It was like being Alice in Wonderland and falling down the rabbit hole. Gosh. Well, actually being picked up and hurled down the rabbit hole, not like a gentle slide. It was mm -hmm. like my entire world has just blown up and I don't understand what's happening. And then you find yourself in this recovery world 
that you thought only really existed in movies, to be honest. Mm. I did anyway. You know, these people are talking about feelings. What is this all about? And maybe that's the British thing. I don't know. <laughs> um, but it was mind blowing to go. I think the first thing we did was somehow, I mean, God provides, we'd lost, I mean, he'd like, his income had shrink, shrunk and it was total, you know, hitting rock bottom. But mm. somehow we won a scholarship to a Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous retreat. Yeah, that was New Year's Eve. Very romantic. Um, Interesting. <laughs> so anyway, that was my first experience of anything like that. And I was like, are you serious? We're going to a convention of, you know, people are going to sit around and they're going to be wearing trench coats and this is all going to be very dodgy and I'm going to be terrified. <laughs> um, but it was absolutely incredible, life-changing. I had never been in the presence of so many openly broken people and it was transformative to mm. realize that other people were just as broken as you feel. And I realized that we're all broken in different ways. And although my husband's sin was egregious and, you know, in some ways repulsive, you know, and I could look mm -hmm. at him as a monster, I was starting to, from some of the literature and the books that I was sort of sneaking, I was going, oh my goodness, this kind of relates to me. And I'm noticing that actually I'm very broken in lots of ways as well. Not that I'm in any way responsible for his stuff, but it did sort of shift us from being sort of adversaries into allies. Like, wow, mm. we're both now in this recovery land. There's great potential for growth here and healing here that we didn't really know we needed. Mm. So after I came back from that, I, cause I was just like, I could talk to people. I could, I could tell them what was going on in my world mm. and they understood and they didn't judge. And it was, it was completely addicting. It was it was the only time in the entire week, if I spoke to one of those people, when I felt I could breathe, I could be myself. The rest of the time I got this, you know, happy or maybe neutral expression on this mask. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, everything's fine. Yeah, everything's fine. Thank you very much for the wedding present. That's lovely. You know, just like you're living two worlds. And I think that's a lot of people's experience when they're dealing with this silently and suffering. They don't know what to do. They don't know where the help is, but there's like this underground secret world life going on and then this outward world and it's so shameful and so hard mm. so once I'd experienced that freedom in that retreat I was going I need to recreate this I, I need to find people I need to find people where, where do you find them you know yeah hello yes. does your husband struggle with pornography want to be my <laughs> friend like where do I so you know it was all set up for guys they've got 12 step groups in our area there was no groups wives and so I sent Mark to his meeting with the these little invitations that I'd made. I said, get your guys to give these to their wives or girlfriends, you know, and it was just like, does your husband struggle with this? Do you sometimes wish that you had someone to talk to, you know, mm. do, you want, do you want to meet up? And so little group of four met um, wow. and it was transformative. And then that became, you know, a group of 16. And it just sort of snowballed from there as I had this heart to grab people out of the swamp and go, I know you're suffering. I know you feel like you can't tell anybody, but there is hope. There is help. You're not alone. And please come and join us mm -hmm. and we can help you find the resources that you need and things will get better. I can't guarantee that your marriage is going to get better because I can't right. control what your husband's going to do. But for you, mm -hmm. life is going to get better and you're going to start having choices and you're going to be able to make informed choices because mm -hmm. you're going to understand what's going on with him, what's going on for you what's going on in the, in the relationship, what's going on in the world. It, it opens up so much once you have this information. And that's the whole heart of the ministry mm. is to just reach people in the swamp and going, we're like, we call ourselves like the ambulance. We sort of go around 
looking, yeah. looking for hurting women, you know, who don't even really realize why they're limping. That's right. Saying, Look, there's hope, there's help. We can help you. And there's some great clinics, there's some great hospitals, and we can take you there. And we'll sit in the ambulance with you and we'll hold your hand and we'll give you podcasts. And, you know, we can be your cheerleaders on this journey. You don't have to do it on your own because I remember what it was like to feel so alone and so ashamed. And I don't want anybody else to feel like that. Well, and that's the thing when a woman does discover that her husband is addicted to pornography. And I'm assuming, I mean, sex addiction and pornography addiction oftentimes go hand in hand. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. Okay. Cause you know, I don't want to just assume that I know because I don't, <laughs> but they experience betrayal trauma. And a lot of people don't really even know what that is. So share a little bit with our listeners, you know, what is betrayal trauma and how do, I mean, how do women even begin to sort through this when they experience, when they find out? Great question, Amber. I, I think one of the problems is that we're told that we shouldn't be upset about it. Like, you know, everybody does this. What's your problem? Get over it. You know, get over yourself. Watch it with him. You know, stop mm. being such a prude. So you know that you're upset with the fact he's arousing himself to all these other women or whatever he's watching. But yet you're told that you're invalidated from your feelings, from sort of society, mm. you know, and then the church might say, well, are you having enough sex? So, well, that's what I was going to say. There's the side you said, and then there's also the side where if you've been, been raised in conservative religious settings, it's, well, this is probably your fault. Yeah. So you're getting all these conflicted messages and yet your heart's breaking. You know that you can't sleep, you can't eat, you can't think, you know, you're having all these weird physical symptoms that you've never had before. Sex is now an issue for you. Um, you know, he may be hypersexual, like coercing you into doing stuff. He might be completely ignoring you sexually and has done for years. And you've thought it's because of the way you look. So you've got all this going on and yet you're told, well, you shouldn't have a problem with it, but you do. And so when I heard betrayal trauma explained by Dr. Jake Porter, I was like, oh, that is, that's groundbreaking. That's paradigm shifting. He explains betrayal trauma like a filing cabinet. Okay, so all our memories and everything we've ever experienced in our life, we sort of like put in files in a filing cabinet. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we've got this big old memory stack and it's all in chronological order and it helps us make good decisions because we think, you know, when, when a new situation arises or something, you know, we're anticipating something, we can pretty much predict what's going to happen because we've got this big old filing cabinet of experiences to refer to and our brain's doing that automatically. Now, when you discover betrayal, whether it's uh, a physical acting out with somebody, you know, physical infidelity or watching pornography, the effect is exactly the same. And what happens is that piling cabinet just goes, it's like someone has come in and taken all those files and just thrown them all over the floor. So now you are utterly preoccupied with trying to work out what your reality is because you think, hang on a minute, he doesn't come to bed. Where was he at that party? Why didn't he come home? He said he was on a business trip. He never called. And you're trying to now put the pieces together. And if he's telling you a little bit, but telling you a little bit every so often, it's kind of like a re-explosion. So this is why you need a you need a, a, a an experienced person to help you do a full, you know, therapeutic disclosure. Get all the information out at once so that you don't have these repeated upheavals, like earth, mini earthquakes going off yeah. as all your files get thrown all over the place again. Right. So there's something going on in your brain, which is, you know, there's a physical reaction to yes. betrayal trauma 
And that, you know, the, the, the body keeps the score. That then manifests in all other ways. So it's all very well being told, just get over yourself. Everybody watches pornography. That's not what your body's telling you. And it's not what his body's telling him because his body is reacting to the pornography as if he was having sex with the person. Right. And your body is reacting as if he was having sex with the real person. So what's the difference? And this is why when you hear the damaging messages that you earlier referred to in the church about how you can help your husband avoid the temptation by making yourself more sexually available, it is so damaging. It's so incorrect. And it's it's not even neutral. It's not even just like, well, that's bad advice. It's actually harmful advice. It harms you because you're further traumatizing yourself and it's enabling his addiction to get worse as you're just feeding the addiction. You're becoming his pornography. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with the church and kind of how they respond with, yeah, make yourself more available. There's also the talk of like, we need to almost be their gatekeeper a little bit too. What are, I mean, you've, we've shared a couple of the misconceptions of um, pornography being addicted to it. Are there more and what are some of those dangers of the messages, things like, well, you're the gatekeeper. Um, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah. What are some of the harmful responses that happen to us as a result of those beliefs? Well, that's a big one. The fact that somehow sex with your wife and watching pornography are interchangeable. And if you have enough sex, then you won't need to look at pornography. But it's not comparing apples and apples. It's like comparing a Mars bar with, or, you know, or cocaine. Okay, let's not call it a Mars bar. Let's call it what it is because it affects your brain in the same That's way. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or a roast dinner, you know, nice Sunday, which is going to produce a, a whole different range of chemicals, you know, those bonding chemicals. So they're not interchangeable at all. And the effect on the wife is that she's now operating out of an obligation message, not because she feels cherished, not because she feels loved. She's operating under the assumption that she is obligated to offer herself up to be used for the guy to masturbate into. I mean, sorry right. to be graphic. No, but, but you're right. And we and women know that. And that is extremely damaging to your sexual identity. And there is harm going on. Mm. And women's I mean, Sheila Ray Gregoire has done amazing work at looking at the how these, you know, sexist and obligation messages actually affect us physically. I um, mean, you can have all sorts of ways that basically your body goes, uh-uh, I, I don't want to do this. You, you know, right. stop overriding me. I don't want to do this. Um, and it's it's extremely damaging. Um, there are other really, gosh, just awful things that women are told, especially young women, like marriage is going to solve everything. Oh my gosh. And the thing is the guys believe this as well. I know. The guys who are struggling and then they go, it'll be all right when I get married. It'll be all right when I get married. And it's like, no, it's really not. You'll still be addicted to pornography and you'll be mad at your wife that she's not performing in the way that you've watched on the screen. Here's the, here's the really shocking thing. Even if she looked and behaved like the women in pornography, it would still not do it for you because it's not about having sex with a real person. It's about this isolated voyeuristic Mm. experience. And, you know, guys don't tend to, or guys or girls, because, you know, ubiquitous issue. They watch multiple windows. This is not sort of like a replication of having sex with your wife. That's not, you know, what sex, what pornography has become is so horrific. It is so violent and abusive and People are seeking a chemical hit. 
So they're not seeking to recreate what they've got with their wife. They're seeking a chemical hit. And because you develop a tolerance for it, just like any other drug, because drugs don't, you can have process addictions as well as sort of substance addictions. Mm-hmm. So some, some, the substance addictions you will ingest or smoke or inject process addictions. These are things that you do that produce the same chemicals in the brain, mm-hmm. like gambling, watching pornography. So whether or not it's a process or a substance addiction, they both escalate. Mm. You, be, you develop tolerance for them. So you're always having to up the ante. And this is why your wife can never compete. You, mm. One woman cannot compete with this endless novelty that the internet provides. And the, you know, the global sex industry is pushing the envelope all the time to accommodate the fact that people's addictions are escalating. So things are getting darker and they're getting younger and they're getting weirder because people Mm -hmm. are developing tolerance for them. So this misconception that sexual intimacy with your spouse is interchangeable with pornography is really dangerous. Mm. You don't try and switch them out. You have to stop this behavior because it is going to escalate. It is not, um, you know, it's not sexual junk food. It is poison. It is poison and Mm. you need to kick it out of your marriage as soon as you know that it's an issue. Well, and that's the thing, fight for love. I mean, you have some pretty specific steps that you really do share with women. And it's not a, this is going to cure all, like you said earlier, it's not necessarily that it's going to save your marriage. Um, Although you've definitely um, seen that happen as well, but, but both people have to be willing to seek help. What are some of the steps that you walk through and fight for love to help a woman begin to experience some healing and hope? Yeah. Our whole goal is to get people to step three, which is reach out for help. Mm. You know, reach out to one of these ministries or therapists or counselors who can actually help you where you are, someone who's trained in betrayal trauma, who can Mm. look at your situation, validate you and offer you real hope and real healing. But that's step three, because women wait a really long time to do step three, because there's all sorts of reasons why they don't reach out. You know, fear, shame, denial, back to fear again. You you know, people can spend years and years and years. So what we try to do in Fight for Love is give you step one and step two, which is, first of all, educate yourself. And because when you're experiencing betrayal trauma, your brain's not working because, you know, you've got that filing cabinet and you're like, That's I have I no idea. Say, the files are on the floor. They're you, a mess. <laughs> yeah. You're like, what? So now I've got to find help and what? Her, you're, you know, and you're not eating and you're not sleeping. Mm. So Gosh. we have come alongside and done all that thinking work for you and gone, here's the book. Here's the baby book. You know, here's um, some podcasts, some gentle podcasts. Here's um, other things that you can look at and read and listen and gradually educate yourself to a place of like, okay, I think I know kind of what we're dealing with. And I'm feeling like there might be hope now because this is a brain disease, you know, and it's reversible. You know, the, the brain is oh, neuroplastic, yeah. you yeah. know? So it's worth, if he was, had a cocaine addiction, if it was, you know, sneaking down in the middle of the night and snorting cocaine, you wouldn't be like, it's because I'm too fat. It's, you know, it's just because mm. I don't have enough sex with them. You'd be like, no, he's got a problem. He's got a problem. Right. We need to sort this out. And I know lots of people who've given up cocaine and, you know, they've come out the other side and their marriages have been restored. Okay. You've got to have that mindset, but you can only really get that through education mm. um, because you, you're so overwhelmed with fear and shame and guilt and all these other emotions. So that's step one. And step two is 
get connected. It's really hard to do this on your own. It's You need sisters around you to go, mm. I've been where you are and I know how scary it is and I'm just going to sit with you, you know, while you cry, while you weep and we'll share stories and uh, I'm going to give you some hope because I'm a little bit further along the path um, and I'm going to point you in the right direction. And once you find that sisterhood where you can actually be real about what's going on in your life, everything changes. Mm. Everything changes. Uh, it's like, the, the, you know, the shame that you've been carrying around, like this cloak of concrete lifts because you look at all the other women and you go, they're nice, they're normal, they're attractive. Right. What's wrong with their husbands? <laughs> yeah, and you realize right. it's nothing to do with you. It's really nothing to do with you. It's, you know, it's his issue. And he had it way before he met you. Yeah. How can it be your issue when he started as a teenager? It's not your yeah. issue. You are, you're now just dealing with the fallout. But in marriage to become one, his brain is literally not working anymore. We can go into that if you like, but the brain science is yeah. fascinating on how his brain has literally been scrambled. But yeah. your brain, although has been hurt and traumatized, is working a little bit better than his is to become one. And people always think about that, don't they? Like, you know, that's the, the sexual unit, to become one. But also it's your brains. You are one brain now. Your part is working. His part isn't. You make the decision that you guys need some help. So that's why we go back, all the way back to setting that firm boundary, drawing that line in the sand and saying, we need help. We cannot go on the way we have. We're going to get help. And if you're not willing to do that, I'm still going to get help because mm. I'm being affected here. So step one, get educated, get yourself a bit of confidence. Step two, get connected. This is why we've got our Facebook group. That's our little ambulance group where we just yeah. love on the women. They come in um, and we go, here's all the resources. Here's the, you know, the, the normal misconceptions. Um, you know, there is hope. Here's our testimonies. Here's our stories. And then mm. encourage them to do step three. And we've also done that legwork for you as well. Like here's a list of all the resources that we recommend. This is where you need to go. These people are going to be safe because I think, as you mentioned before, the, the advice that you might get in the church, if you just go to the people yes. who are nearby, as opposed to the people who are actually experienced in dealing with this, it might not be helpful and it could very well be harmful. Mm -hmm. Horror, horror stories of women being blamed mm, and shamed. It's awful. Same. Oh, it is awful. So I'm so thankful for what you're doing because, um, yeah, I have a couple of close friends that thankfully they've come out on the other side. Okay. But a lot of hurt from well-meaning religious people, but they also yeah. need to do step one. Yeah. And here's the other thing. A crisis of faith is really normal for women in this situation. And they go to the church and not only do they get blamed and shamed, like, are you having enough sex with your husband? You know, look in the mirror, look at your own sin. But they also get this biblical band-aid. You know, if you have oh, enough yeah. faith, if you had enough faith, you would be having joy in this trial. You would be oh, suffering, yes. you know, the, suffering. The band-aid Bible verse. And it's so hard for women who are questioning everything because their entire life has now been thrown on the floor back to that filing cabinet, including often their relationship with God. You know, how could you let this happen to me? How could you let this happen? Yeah. I prayed for a husband. You know, I saved myself a marriage, you know, in some cases. Um, how can this be happening to yeah. me from a good God? And that's totally normal. normal. And you need someone who's going to walk alongside you and help you process that, not shame you or make you feel like a bad Christian on top of everything else. Right. Oh, gosh. Man, I could really dig into that, but I'm not going to, because what I also want to ask is what does the woman do whose spouse says, 
I'm not getting help. Or, okay, I will. And then just does it. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty common too, because they're in denial and their prefrontal cortex is not really working very well anymore. And they're feeling entitled and they're angry and blaming and critical. And, you know, it's really hard to unpack what's going on for them because some of them are abusive on top. Mm. They've got issues there as well. And some are literally believing their own justifications that it really is your fault, really is your fault. Mm. It's really very common because their brains aren't working correctly. You can't force him to get help. You can draw your boundary. You can draw that firm line in the sand um, and you can get help. And so there's often like a a time lag. The woman will get into recovery. She'll start feeling supported. She'll start understand what's going on in her own body, in her own mind, what's going on for him. Um, She's able to create a safety plan for herself. Mm. And he starts noticing that things are different and that she means business and she's growing in confidence and it's really unsettling. And quite often as she gets stronger and stronger and realizes that upon if you want it and that other women have it, you know, her boundaries become stronger. And at that point, what he is going to lose becomes more important to him than what he's gaining in this um, acting out. And I think what women need to hear is quite often they're not acting out because they don't love you and they don't like you. They're acting out because it's a coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. This is what they learned at a very early age. This is how you cope with uncomfortable feelings. And they sort of got emotionally stunted whenever they started this behavior. And they haven't learned the skills, which is what happens in recovery, the skills to actually cope with life without doing pornography. Yeah. So the best thing you can do for your husband is you get help. So even if he's just trying to turn it around and make it your fault and you're overreacting and you're this and you're that, you know, thank you very much for sharing. I'm still going to my group. I'm still Mm -hmm. reading my books. I'm still listening to my podcast. I'm still making my calls and things will change because they'll change for you. And by you changing, he will have to change. And also you're getting more informed. So it it might get to a point where um, he goes, oh, do you know what? I don't want to lose you. I'm going to get into recovery and I'm going to do whatever it takes. Or he might go, do you know what? And some guys do do this. Like, I, I don't want recovery. I don't want it. At which point the wife goes, I have done everything I That's possibly right. can. And they have to walk away. But That's they right. found hope and help. And they eventually wake up with a smile on their face and hope in their heart, which they mm-hmm. never had before. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's where that second piece of having a support group around you and sisters who have walked through it is so vital because we lose the stamina. We lose the the will to persevere in really hard times. And so I think that it's easy to back off on that line when you don't have other people saying, no, come on, like, you know, you got to stay firm in this because if you don't, like, it's almost like you're, I don't want to say you're starting back at the beginning, but a lot of times you are starting back at the beginning. You're absolutely right, Amber, because wives report that once they start into recovery and then the guy slips again, it is equally, if not more painful, because now they've got their hopes up that this time things are going to be different and slips are not inevitable. They don't have to happen, but they do happen. They're not uncommon. It's part of the process. It's, it's, you learn from them. You, you do better in the future. You know, you might not have a control over the acting out, but you have total control over your accountability and how honest you are about them and Mm. calling people before, after, you know, um, so that there is progress forward, but for the wife who has now put our hope, we're getting better. Things are going to be okay. And mm-hmm. then suddenly it all crashes again. 
you need your support group there because it's a really bumpy road. Mm. You know, and we think recovery is going to be like this straight line and it's not, it's like spaghetti <laughs> up and down, up and down. Um, but that's everybody's experience. And once you hear that, that's everyone's experience. It helps you keep going and go. Okay. Well, and I think as this. people get more, if you are paying attention to research with trauma, big T trauma, little T trauma, neuroscience, if you're, if you're listening, if you have your finger on the pulse of just that conversation, we know that big T, little T trauma, either one, we react and we pull from that amygdala part of our brain, that fight, yep. flight, freeze, instead of our prefrontal cortex. And that ha that takes a long time yeah. to begin to process in the correct part of the brain. And so addiction does that too. It yeah. pulls from the wrong part. So I can see where you even say like, there's a part of you that grows in empathy. Like you became an ally mm -hmm. with your husband more when you saw like, I'm a really broken person too. And that doesn't excuse his behavior, yeah. but it, it kind of grows your empathy yeah. for what's actually happening to them. Yeah, it's so true. I've been learning lots more about trauma recently. Oh yeah. And y both your brains are scrambled, oh, which yeah. is why you need help. You need help. You need to reach out. I, it's so hard to reach out. There's so much stigma and shame around this issue, mm. but you really, really, really need to do the brave step. And even if that's just listening to some podcasts, do a baby step. You can do that anonymously at home. It's free. Just start to hear what recovery community feels like, sounds like, and that might help you come out of the shadows and get the help that you desperately need because life does not have to be as scary and painful and lonely mm. as it is right now. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I'm into that. Well, tell me this, because you've talked about how much it damages the brain. I do want to hear a little bit about it because I know there's people listening right now who either are married to someone and they think it's harmless or they're a parent and they think letting their kid have their device all the time in all spaces isn't a big deal. And I don't want to say that just because your child has their device with them 100% of the day means they're going to be addicted to porn. However, I am going to say that your chances of having a child who is watching pornography is incredibly increased when they're going to bed and hanging out in dark places with their device. Yeah, I actually feel quite anxious just listening to you say that, thinking of, you know. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, because they don't even know. It's like basically putting a weapon in their hand. You don't even understand. We don't understand the damage it can really do. And yeah. we think it's no big deal. It's a, it's a big deal. It is. And for developing brains, oh. it is absolute kryptonite because oh. they they don't even know what sex is. They haven't, be, they haven't developed their... Um, their arousal template, mm. and they are being sexually conditioned by pornography, oh, which, as we've already established, is really dark, really violent, really abusive, really demonic. Um, this is what they're being conditioned to arouse by, to the point where they actually prefer watching pornography to having sex with a real person. You know, the, the rates of erectile dysfunction in young men now is astronomical. Wow. They're definitely engaged in pornography at a younger age. Like what is, what's the risk of that? It's not harmless. Why is it not harmless? Great question. I think a good place to start is looking at why pornography is addictive. Why does it feel good? Because mm. 
it's kind of confusing, isn't it? Why is my kid watching this horrific thing that's actually freaking them out somewhat? But yet they keep going back to it because it actually gives you a biological reward. So the reward center in our brain operates a little bit like a token jar that you might use with your kids. So whenever they do something that you want them to repeat, like stop hitting your brother, you know, (laughs) stop taking my phone, um, you know, do your piano practice, you get a reward. It's something that I want them to repeat. Now the brain works in the same way in order to maintain our survival. So when we do a biological advantageous behavior, like eating calories or having sex to reproduce, our brains reward us and they flood us with these happy chemicals. Mm. Um, so, you know, repeat that. That was good. That's going to, you know, keep the keep the species surviving. Um, but the trouble is it works in the same way for pornography. Mm. So just like giving sex gives us a high, so does pornography. And you can easily become addicted to the pornography. And then your brain is clever in that it adapts to things uh, that you know, basically we're talking about neural pathways. So things that it wants to do faster, more efficiently, play the piano, play a sport, um, be happy. The pathway connecting porn and pleasure is made so strong and so fast that whenever you're dealing with anything, your brain goes, I know the answer. I know the answer. And that's where, um, you know, the cravings start. And for developing brains, they have an extra amount of, it's it's a little protein called Delta B, and basically it helps you learn things quicker. Mm-hmm. And you have an extra amount produced when you're a teenager. It's why they can learn stuff and we can't remember anything. <laughs> um, which is, you know, it's great. It helps them do all their schoolwork and learn all these, you know, amazing things. But it also means that these neural pathways connecting pornography, pleasure, are being are like super highways. They're really fast. And this is why it becomes their go-to, their default. And then, you know, they're becoming sensitized to pornographic cues all around them. So they're becoming turned on by the you know, the beep of their phone or something. Yeah. Going in a room at a certain time or, you know, mum and dad are are asleep. It's my time. You know, that can get the the chemicals going in your brain already. Mm. So the brain, it, uh, it, you know, although it's designed to, you know, maintain our optimal survival, it also protects us by putting in these safety mechanisms. So one of the ways that it does is the tolerance that we've already talked about. The drug becomes less effective. So now you need more of your drug to get your high mm-hmm. because the brain's going, whoa, you've just given me all those chemicals. I don't need all those chemicals. I'm going to numb mm. my my pleasure receptors so that I need more of my drug now. But you need your drug because it's the only way you can cope. So you have to do more of it. You have to do it longer or stronger. And the other way that it does, it, uh, it goes, okay, that's not working. We're going to actually lower your baseline of happiness. So that you no longer sort of like normal here and porn will take you up here. Your baselines come down here so that porn will just take you up to normal. Yeah. So now you need a hit of pornography to actually feel normal, but the pornography you're using no longer works because you've developed tolerance. So you're just in this spiral of things getting, the more you do, the more you need, the less effective it is. You just go round and round and round until you're absolutely hooked. And then the final kicker, and I hope this isn't terrifying people too much because there is help and there is hope, um, is that you can, with heavy porn use, you can develop this condition called hypofrontality, which is what you get in two ways, a head-on collision or heavy porn use. Wow. And this is an impairment of the functioning of your prefrontal cortex. So your mm-hmm. decision-making part of the brain is no longer communicating as well as it, as effectively as well as your the, you know your gray matter is actually shrinking as well so while this is all going on and you actually need your uh 
weakening drug, you know, progressively weakening drug to feel normal, your brain's mm. not making a good decision. So I've promised mum that I wouldn't do it. And, uh, you know, I know I'm going to get into trouble and I'm going to lose this and it's going to go all sideways. However, the brain is not really thinking straight. And so it's like, well, ah, one more time, won't matter. And it just goes round and round and round. And this is what, you know, happened to a lot of husbands, a lot of yeah. boyfriends when they were young and it's just got worse and worse and worse. So we really do need to step in. And if their brains aren't working right, our brains are. Mm. So if this is in your relationship, put a boundary there, get help. If you're a parent, do not give your par- uh, your child uh, an, you know, an unfiltered smartphone. Just don't do it. Yeah. I'd like to be, I'd like to be middle of the road and popular, but just don't do it. It's a, yes. it's a recipe for disaster. It really is. I mean, it was, it's bad enough when it was just like you could find a magazine in your dad's drawer when you were younger. It's like yeah. total, I mean, that, that causes enough damage. It's next level when you're watching it with your eyes and yeah. hearing it with your ears. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it, it, that also processes in the brain differently. Well, and also the, the difference is that with a magazine, it was static. So yes. there's only, it's like finite internet unlimited novelty and you can just go which is why you get addicted so hard and fast wow but the other thing i want to say it's not because i don't want to say no smartphones forever although that's what i'm saying to my children um (laughs) which they hate um it's not just you can't just restrict them forever it's unrealistic right right they have to learn you have to be their coach you have to you know the the best way to combat this is to be having regular open conversations about this so it's not just a case of just slap your filters on because kids are so tech savvy they can get around of it and also you know they're friends you you can't be with them all the time you know the likelihood is they're going to get shown something but what you want them to do is recognize what it is what they're watching and that they are able to turn from it and come and tell you that's right and then you can help them process that's what you want that's right because temptation doesn't go away We have to learn how to address temptation and turn from it. And that's why conversations are so important and letting them know it's, you know, they can talk to us. And and that the temptations are, they're not because you're bad. That's right. Because your brain is going, Ooh, look, here's a bit of happy chemical. Yeah. That's like a biological thing that we should be doing, you know? Yes. It's, it's just this horrible demonic twisting of something that was so beautiful and natural but there is there's so many resources now. It yeah. is it is really encouraging to see quite how much help there is there. And we need to equip this generation to become fighters for each other. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm having a conversation this week at, at our school just about having, you know, talking to your kids about sex. It's like it's not a one-time deal anymore. This needs to be normal in your home. But let's close with this. Um, because I know you have resources on your webpage, but what are some of the resources out there? Um, if somebody right now, obviously they can go to fight for love. Is it .org? .org or .com will get you there. Awesome. That is a the, a great place to start. Are there other um, resources that you're like, yes, this is this is a good place? Yes. And we've listed them all on the website. Okay. Oh, perfect. So fightforlovemonistries.org and uh, there you'll find a link to the podcast. And we also awesome. have a fight for love hub. So what we've done there, it's like um, your own little app browser or podcast browser, um, but we've we've aggregated all the recovery podcasts on there. Awesome. So if you go there and it's free and you can literally search by topic. So if you want, oh, I want to know about safety plans, you just put that in the bar and then every pod- recovery podcast that we recommend that's covered that will then come up by episode. So you awesome. never have to feel 
that you're doing any of this on your own. There's someone who can help you a little bit. Oh, thank you so much, Rosie. You're welcome. cheering for you, girl. Thank you. This has been fun. To those of you who've already filled out the survey, thank you. I have already discovered two themes that will help me with episode planning. If you haven't filled out the survey, will you? Visit graceenoughpodcast.com slash survey now through May 23rd, and you'll be entered for a chance to win a $50 Amazon gift card. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.